My career sucks. Sex just isn't the same. What's my purpose? Where did this fat come from? My relationship is killing me. I'll never be happy. My debt is piling up. I'll never find love. Why can't I be like other gay guys? Hey guys, it's time to get a grip, stop whining, make a bold move, and do something amazing with your 40-plus gay life. Let's get to the show with your tell-it-like-it-is host, Rick Clemens, who does his best to never act like a dick or a diva unless you act like one first. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted and 40-plus gay man gay talk. It's time for another double episode because I feel like today's guest... Well, he kind of been through the ringer in so many, many, many ways. He's been involved in sex, in drugs, and in Jesus. And from his dealing drugs and drug addiction to being homeless, serving in the army, all this stuff that comes with even being thrown out because of his sexuality from his church. It's part of being life uncloseted. It's also part of, hey, guys over 40, we've kind of all been through this. I just feel like what we're going to talk about today is going to be powerful. It's going to hit home and everybody's going to walk away getting something from this conversation. His name is Devan and Hubert. He has an amazing book called Sex, Drugs, and Jesus. Love the title. And I can't wait to share him with you. And you've got a podcast by the same name, right? Devan? I show on the shit, do Hell yeah. You're showing the show. Oh, yeah. And he, he from Louisiana. So you're going to hear a little bit, a little bit of that like twang come up every so often. But uh, so glad to have you here, buddy. And I, I I do. I love the title of the book and the podcast. I'm like, this guy is going to get the jugular. So, um, so podcaster to podcaster, what are we going to talk about now? <laughs> every fucking goddamn bitch ass thing that we can pro- possibly squeeze out exactly yes exactly we've got we got a short time to squeeze it out but um <laughs> you have not been a you have not been an angel child have you my dear friend i i beg to differ i was totally angelic <laughs> until i fell from grace <laughs> okay. i knew i get i knew i get some smart ass remark out of you for that but it, that's the thing it's like oh gosh anybody like reading that intro and everything they're like this one's a mess well we have to we have to be a mess to get out of our mess we have to go fall from grace and and find the pathway so um where do you want to start man i mean sex oh. drugs jesus now, if you have never been the elephant in the room if you have never been the one people have been clutching their pearls over mm. if you've never been tossed out honey you haven't lived mm. <laughs> so true I know I love it when people clutch their pearls about me. I mean, I'm sure some some weird right winger probably going to come on and listen to this podcast, and their pearls are already clutched. So it's on you. It's on you. But um, what was kind of the the first piece of okay? I'm I'm starting to fall. I'm falling from grace. Where did where did it start, so to speak? I suppose if I had my head on straight and I was thinking clearly. I would have seen the warning signs. Now, the church that you speak of, I was at Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. Yes, that's Joel Osteen Ministries, mm. our largest mega church here in the United States. The, you know, and so um, I was a volunteer there, serving in the adult choir, the kids' choir, teaching the children, supervising the other teachers, teaching the children, and all kinds of things. And 
Well, parents started to complain about my outfit. They didn't like my cowboy boots and, you know, my style. So then the staff at Lakewood would ring me into the office and ask me things like, well, do you have a girlfriend and all of this, you know, and trying to get all into my personal life because they think that if a man has a woman, then he must be straight. And they Mm -hmm. think that if you're anything but straight, then you're a pedophile. And what they don't pay attention to is that Usually it's the straight uncles that go and molest these boys. It's not the gay uncles. Exactly. Thank you. We already got dick in all our holes. We don't have time for little Johnny. (laughs) You can't do a damn thing for me. And so, um, so that was really when it began. But, you know, I did like so many of us do and I rationalized and I was like, okay, I'm just going to look over that. No place is going to be perfect. I really love it here. I'm doing the Lord's work and all of that. And though then I applied to for a job at Lakewood Church because I was so invested in the ministry. Um, I had been volunteering there like two, three years, um, but they had to go and look at my MySpace page for a character reference to really find out who I truly was. Mm-hmm. My, two or three, my three years volunteering there wasn't good enough. They had to go and ask social media. And so then they saw that I was hanging out in Montrose, which is the gay district in Houston, Texas. And then they were like, and they called me into the office and they were like, <gasps> We can't believe what you've been doing. Uh-huh. And, and, I, and they they said it really nasty. They were like, you can't be doing that, hanging out there with those people. Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, for shame, for shame, for shame. Let's let's just go there, right? And they offered me a conversion therapy package. They said I could be demoted to being an usher. And is, I that, is that anything like when you go on a cruise, they offer you the alcohol package? You know, you just get your alcohol all free for the whole cruise. I'm kidding, of course. Oh, that would be better. But what exactly. I did, thank you. That, that was the moment that I fell when I was rejected from that ministry because I didn't realize how dehumanizing that was and what that did to me internally. I did not go and get mental health counseling. I didn't know what a mental health counselor were. Never seen a psychotherapist. Not uncommon for the African American community, especially people. Yep. We don't talk about mental health. I had I didn't even think about that. So what I did, I did go and get me a whole bunch of drinks that night in Montrose. I was like, all right, well, I'll go somewhere where I know I won't be rejected. But I didn't realize that that was the point I started numbing the pain with substances. I didn't realize it. That is when I fell. And you fell hard, it sounds like. Yeah. So I'm a Sagittarius. You know, I subscribe to the Zodiac to a point. I can't deny it. I ain't going to say I'm all into it. I'm pretty fucking intense. You know, and any damn thing I'm going to bother to do, I'm going to do that motherfucker all the way. Then I'm going to keep doing it way past the time that it needs to be done. That's just who the fuck I am. And so I wasn't just a volunteer. You know, I was like there. My social life was the church. You know, I didn't even know yep. what Sunday, Sunday was until I got kicked out. You know, I came b- bouncing around the gay bar. I'm like, well, are y'all open on Sunday? Don't I sound like a country bumpkin? I'm like, why are y'all open? What's Sunday fun day? Like, bitch, they had right. to explain this basic gay shit to me right. because of, <laughs> I just, I was so fucking sheltered and so churched up. And so religious trauma and church trauma can't be understated. People have tried to commit suicide over shit churches have done to them, particularly our community and stuff like that. I'm yep. speaking particularly about the Hillsong Church in Australia and Lakewood Church and Hillsong Church are like really great friends. My friend Tanya Levine runs the Leaving Hillsong podcast that goes over all these people's detrimental stories of what Brian Houston and the gang have done to these people over there. And um, so, yeah, I did fall hard. And then I 
started accepting drugs from people. I Boys had been offering me drugs, you know, for, for years and I just didn't take them. I was like, well, I got to be at church. You know, the church is telling me that all the drugs are bad and that's just what I believed. I now disagree with all of that. And so I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'll take that ecstasy. I'll take that cocaine. I'll take that crystal meth, you know, fuck the church. Right. And And I didn't realize that I was doing it to say fuck the church, but I was totally angry you know, and that's not a good way to be doing your narcotics. You know, you want to be happy, not bitter. And I was a bitter, broken bitch and didn't realize it. <laughs> so. I like that. You got to be happy to do your drugs. You can't be bitter because if you're bitter and, and actually that's really true. It's it's interesting because I'm not an addiction specialist, but I have worked so much in our community coaching gay men through coming out and being who they are and everything that one of the things that I've noticed and my own journey um in different ways is if you're bitter and angry, then your addiction is going to come up and it's going to meet you every step of the way. Cause it's going to be the only thing that quote unquote solves your problems, whether it's sex, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's food, whether it's over exercising and going, I got to be the Adonis. I got to be the Adonis. And I don't know that we as gay men or LGBTQ people realize any p anything can be addiction you know and then it comes from that space of because we've been told you're no good you're no good you're no good baby you're no good you know mm -hmm. and then so what do we want we want to be good well so to speak but then we come out the other side and then it's like we don't know what the fuck to do because we've been like oh wow now i don't have to play the you're no good piece i'm free and then the next thing we know is our own community sometimes like, yes, but to do this and to be this and this is how you are. Suddenly, here comes the addictions all over again. So what started to shift you? I mean, you, you, you did drugs, you did all these different things. What was the thing that kind of then woke you up and said, you know what? This is me. I'm going to be my badass how I'm going to be. But I'm also going to love myself for being who I am. Oh, well, I'll say maybe the turning point for me to maybe stop with some of the drugs. Cause see, I also became a drug dealer too. And I began to sell quite a large amount of narcotics in Houston. So much so that the SWAT team came and kicked my door in and dragged me out of there, you know, and I'm gonna tell you, jail is not like the pornos, you know, there wasn't like 12 inch dick tattooed men laying pipe. It was quite tragic. You know, I'm talking about girl, you know, our, um, Girl, you know, drag queens and fucked up wigs, people getting yeah. arrested, and, you know, and shit today you get out, it don't fit. Oh, it's, it is not cute at all. And so, but, you know, and then I ended up homeless after the SWAT raid. And so, um, you know, it was just, so what was the turning point? It wasn't, I had to, they had to transfer my probation back to, to Louisiana from Texas to get me away from the game, mm -hmm. you know, and everything mm -hmm. like that. And it was just a slow uh drag you know during all of this time from you know getting kicked out of the church to coming back to louisiana i contracted hepatitis b hiv went through this whole depression thing and everything like that and um so i had to first believe that i was actually going to live because i really thought i was going to die you know the only person who i had known um you know closely to have had hiv or aids had like shriveled up and like died when he was like 24 and so I didn't I didn't know 
I wasn't in constant communication with somebody living, you know, healthily with HIV. I had no frame of reference for that. And so I thought I would triple up and die too. Right. Completely inaccurate, but I did not have any knowledge. I wasn't researched. I wasn't, I didn't have any knowledge of medical things in our community. Right. And so, um, so once I figured out I wasn't going to die, you know, then I had to work on rebuilding my life from nothing. And it, it was, I know a lot of people have these like, oh, this bright light flashed and all of this and all of that. My deliverance was slow. It took about 10 years and I had to work my way up from being a janitor after having a job that paid up to $70 an hour before I became homeless. You know, I had to go from being a janitor to a food delivery driver to a food server, you know, then to massage therapy. The massage therapist became a licensed hypnotist. You know, you know, now I run my clothing business down under apparel and do everything else. But we're talking about 10 years. So what so it took about 10 years for me to to change. Wow. But you did. And, you know, you started owning yourself. It sounds like like this is who I am. This is how I want to be in the world. Probably within the last two or three years. Now, I'll be 40 in December. The the most pivotal thing that helped me to accept myself was when I did my training for hypnotherapy. And I did it to complement my massage therapy practice. But in doing it, I found that I was the voices in my head weren't my own. And so you'll hear me say a lot is important for us to think to to understand why we think what we think and why we believe what we believe. Because right. see, had I been thinking like that when I got HIV and then the thought would have come to me, well, hey, you're going to die in eight months. I would have thought, okay, well, why do I think that? Where is that coming from? And I would have thought, okay, the one guy when you were in high school who shriveled up and died, okay, maybe we can get some new knowledge. See, I spent too much time running off with my wild emotions, and I spent too much time letting the church tell me who I'm supposed to do, who who I'm supposed to be, letting the military tell me who I'm supposed to be. And I didn't realize that those voices followed me, even though I wasn't in the military anymore, and even though I wasn't going to church anymore. Those people had a hold on my mind, you know, and it wasn't until I took that hypnotherapy training that I began to wake up and go, oh, shit, wait a minute. Okay, 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 I'm actually good and I'm actually going to be all right. But I had to dig into this subconscious to get that shit out. It was not easy. Well, no, and it's not easy because we've been pushed down so much and then we go and hide stuff. And, you know, I talk about, being about as close to a sex addict as I could have been the whole time I was married to my ex-wife. And then when I came out, I'm like, okay, I get to be like, I'm free. I didn't know. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't, not that I didn't know how to do sex, but I was like, I didn't know how to like think about even date a guy and go find a guy without it just being, let's just hook up. Let's just hook up. And it took a few years before I was like, okay, this isn't how this has to be done. You can, you know, and it, and so, you know, your 10 year journey, my three, four year journey in that space, this, this is tough stuff. This is not like, let's, it would be, you know, maybe while you're building your clothing line, can you just make the gay magic wand that just poof, everything goes away? Because bitch, if you had that, <laughs> you and I, neither one would have to do what we're doing right now. We'd just be like, we'll sell you the wand. Each one gets a little more expensive, but, um, you know, I've learned that there is no such thing as it happening overnight you work at it and you make it come to life yeah you're totally right and and and, and yeah we had that one and we became billionaires you and i could sit on the aisle of capri some damn wearing mm-hmm. speedos and have cabana boys suck our well, dick exactly 
Well, actually, the first thing I'd do with the wand is I would like get rid of the Joel Osteens and the Lindsey Grahams and, you know, let's let's just get going, you know, when, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greens and, you know, they'd all be like poof gone, never to be seen or heard from again. So but, uh, turn them all into olifants. Turn them all. There into- you go. There you go. I love <laughs> olifants. They're olifants. Bye bye. So. Um, but see, the, the thing that's sad, though, is we have a tendency to revert back to what's comfortable. So whether mm-hmm. you you stop doing drugs and something bad happens and you have an emotional response, you go back to them. You were used to fucking around on the apps. Maybe you tried dating. You got your heart broke. Well, you go back to fucking around on the apps, you know, because it's a space in our head that's carved out and we're, from, we're familiar with it and it feels safe. Yep. And so you know, logically, we know that this probably isn't serving us we know it you know like when i got done being homeless and i was back in louisiana i had an apartment i had a car but i was walking the streets of houston he's walking my head down i couldn't even lift my head up my self-esteem was just non-existent and i never thought i could own anything again all i owned was a clothes on my back to my knowledge right um but i got back here so i have an apartment i have a car i have a little job low janitor job, but I'm still walking out on the street at night to talk to homeless people because I'm more comfortable talking to the homeless people than I am talking to people who are, I guess, have it together because, you know, there was more acceptance. I wasn't judged. I knew how to speak that language. I was still going back to what was comfortable, even though I was in a better place. It was hard to let it go. It did. You know, it was hard. And as you're moving forward, do you still find those moments where it's like, it's really hard to stay in this space. It's really hard to keep moving forward. It's really hard to have this positive perspective, so to speak. Not now. And this is like a gradual change. It's like, I looked around recently and I was like, you know what? I don't think that I care to go and specifically track down someone homeless or like a dope boy I see walking down the street. I'm not ever going to judge them. And I will always be able to speak that language that that's the part of what keeps me humble. But I prefer, you know, nicer things now. And I feel more comfortable, you know, in quote unquote, regular society. But it didn't come overnight, didn't come as quick as I wanted to. It's like how in the Bible, it tells us that the Lord will change us uh, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Look, if people have these instantaneous, miraculous deliverances, bitch, baby, I'm good for you. I'm glad for you. But I'm not holding my breath for that because that hasn't been the way with me. Stuff with me has been gradual and it's taught me patience with myself and with other people, you know, so... So if somebody don't get delivered overnight, okay, you still work with them, you know, and you still try. If it's going to be 10 years. So if you're smoking 15 packs of cigarettes a day and you cut that down to 14 by the end of the year, that's improvement. If you decide that you want to stop smoking, I don't look at that as a bad thing, you know, you know, and eventually if you keep going down that road, then you'll be where you want to go. Let no one judge you for slow progress. Well, and don't judge yourself. That's the other thing. I've learned so much through this experience. I mean, I spent 36 years hiding in the closet and got married, was married for 13 years. And, you know, I went back in the closet at 19 and then I came out and I'm like, there were people who judged that like on both sides of the fence, like, oh, you waited so long. And, you know, you know how our community can be sometime like you bitches can be real evil, mean bitches like. Well, you, oh, you were married. You Oh, you 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 have put that in her not touching me i'm like whatever you know get over it boys 
but it's interesting to see how at, at times, and again, I feel like I'm definitely well beyond that sort of stuff, but I also have to be very conscious at times, like don't let somebody take you down. This isn't, you know, you, like you referred to the military and the church and everything. I got to the point where I realized, and maybe that's why my brand is now no fears, no excuses, no apologies. I truly believe in being unapologetic about who I am. Now, that doesn't mean I'm an asshole. Well, some people would say that, but it doesn't mean I'm going to be out there like, fuck you, this is how I'm going to live. Screw you, go to hell, whatever. But I'm also not going to let anybody put me in a box. I just, I don't, I don't fit in a box. I will not be a box. I am not a box. I am. That's just not who I am. But I do it from a very powerful place because of where I came from and what I've been through. And as I'm listening to you, I'm like, it's a very similar freaking vibe, man. I mean, homelessness and drug abuse and drug dealing and all these different things. But you've given yourself permission to say, okay, yeah, that's, that's where I came from. So here's where I am now, period right. of statement, so to speak. So what inspired so, you to write the book? Did it feel like it was a calling? Like, I've got to get this book out. Well, I received a strong deliverance, you know, especially when I was a drug dealer in Houston, Texas. Now, I'm not from the streets like that. Yeah, I was raised in poverty, but I wasn't allowed to leave the yard. So I didn't, because of the tough neighborhood we lived in, so I'm not like really just like that. And I was hanging out with very dangerous people, you know, people who are capable of murder, you know, all kinds of crime. And it's basically, I was way too nice to be hanging out with such rough people, you know, and I almost got killed a couple of times out there in Houston. And, you know, any I feel like anybody else would have died out there. And the, and the only reason I'm not dead is just God wasn't ready for me to die. And, um, when you have that sort of realization, you know, growing up here in the South and Pentecostal churches, you know, you, they, you know, they would testify of what the Lord has done on a <clears throat> Sunday morning. Hallelujah. Right. You know, I felt like a book was a better version of that. You know, it's a written Testament um, that a person can pick up years after I've departed this plane of existence and everything like that. So it's so much better than just a, a one-time church testimony or an every now and then church testimony, you know, you know, it needed to be documented also right. to help me stay humble, you know, as I grow and prosper to not forget, you know, when I was 127 pounds with my ribs poking out, you know, shooting up crystal meth every day, you know, um, you know, so. It's a little, it's it, a little bit different life, but again, as I'm listening to you, Devan, and I'm just hearing this like, okay, yeah, I, I, I got brought to my knees, but I also appreciate that that was what needed to happen for me to start to see my path forward, so to speak. And even in the way you reference God and things now, it's like there's space for that all to be with you, but it's not the space in a way that harms you. It's like I had to learn. I, I'm glad I got kicked out of the church because it, it made it clear to me that I was worshiping pastors and churches and I didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm glad that the HIV happened the way that it did. I found out I was HIV positive on a voicemail, you know, like 10 New Year's Eves ago. Right. But my, I didn't, I wasn't, I was so prideful. I could not ask for help. And I thought I was humble and I wasn't. And so now, bitch, if something happens, I'm like, girl, I need some help me, help me, help me. You know, I, 
<laughs> I don't give a fuck. I don't mind showing brokenness and weakness. I don't attend churches, but I still worship God. So I had to learn how to separate, you know, God from televangelists and pastors and preachers and even local low level churches and preachers because as close as I thought I was to God, I did not have that separation because if I had had that separation when Lakewood kicked me out, I still would have continued my walk with God, but I had those two things conflated. Yep. So I went from being restricted by the military and the church and I went way too far in the opposite direction and was way too free and abused those freedoms and did way too much. And like you said, now I've learned how to put it all in the same space. So yes, I have my God, my Jesus, my Holy Ghost, my angels. I know how to approach him without ever stepping foot in the church again. And I don't let the things they do dissuade me from following God. Um, if I want to go somewhere and smoke me some weed or, or do me some type of narcotic or whatever, I feel like it's okay. If I want to not be straight, I think that there's space for it all. My favorite line from the, the movie Girls Trip is, you really can have it all. Mm. And so, and so, yeah, there's space for it all. None of this is mutually exclusive. No, none of it is. In fact, it's always fascinating to me when people are so consumed with my sexuality. <laughs> I'm like, so that's all you see. You just see this gay guy. Well, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I've been a, a huge player in some companies uh, i've done all these things but oh so all you see is gay that's pretty sad you don't see the multi-dimensions of who i really can be which is the same thing as if you choose to go smoke some weed or do whatever you want you're doing it in a container that works for you and some people would say but 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 he talks about being an addict and all this stuff I've seen, I mean, I've seen addicts in my world where it's like they were addicted to one thing, but they can actually handle other things and it doesn't become an addiction for them. So leave them the fuck alone. It's their life. They get to choose how to do their life their way, which I wish everybody would kind of understand that, except when it does harm to other people, then that's a whole different ball game. Like you fucking around with somebody else's vagina and who doesn't even know what a vagina is. Yes. I'm talking about you, Mr. Lindsey Graham, once again, um, you don't get to do this stuff, but let us be who we are. It's it's just so fascinating to me in you coming from that world and me coming from, I was raised seven day out of So it's, it's very much like, you know, there's only these things you can do and all this stuff. I'm like, Oh, who, who actually said that's the only way I, you know, again, I don't think there's, please show me in the Bible where God said, yeah. Oh, Joel Osteen's church. That's the only one who's going to be saved. Or Seventh Day Adventist, that's the or cat. Nobody said this, so leave us all the fuck alone and let us kind of do our thing. And if we're good people, sorry for cursing so much, God, but if we're good people, then that's most of the battle in my mind. But people don't I want feel, us to be that. I feel like most of the battle is fighting our way to, through all the static and the noise to still get close to God, no matter what. Mm, mm -hmm. You know, because there's so much noise. There's so much noise and a lot of it does come from evangelicals and Republicans. But um, and yes, Miss Miss Marjorie Taylor Greene, as I understand it, has a, an, an over obsession with kids genitals these days. And so um, but, you know, religion is all about control. I did a short stint in seminary at the Houston Graduate School of Theology when I was all ate up about being on staff at church. 
until one of the professors in there was like, he was just like, we want to control the people in church. And I was like, what the fuck did you just say? He was like, yeah, we want to control the people in church. And I was like, no, we don't. <laughs> and I was in the minority. And so I had to leave, you know, you know, never go back there. But it's like a different set of rules for the leaders than it is for the followers in politics and religion. Like, um, I think it was John Werner from the Cult of Christianity podcast I interviewed for my show, very learned man. You know, he said, you know, there was all these rules before Jesus. Jesus got rid of all the rules and gave us two to live by, to love God and to love your neighbor. And everybody after Jesus kept adding more rules yep. back again. <laughs> you know, yep. so, you know, and I don't subscribe to this once an addict, always an addict, or like the anonymous program says, just give it all up. I'm like, no, because if somebody's a sex addict and they get that under control, they're not about to stop being a sex addict. I mean, they have to stop having sex for the rest of their life. They're going to learn how to handle it, control it, and they still got to copulate. They're not going to stop. Right. You know? So if I got if I got too far on meth and cocaine, okay, maybe I'm not shooting up every day anymore. Maybe I just do it two or three times a year. I don't see a problem with that, you know. And I but know again, people- De- Devon, and that comes down to you getting to do it the way that works for you. I mean, I have two addicts in my world, and one of them went to like twelve step, and and she never went back. But she she never has you know done anything again. The other one went through a program and doesn't have any desire for, for pot at this point, but she doesn't you know, hold it against anybody who wants to, you know, she's still like, oh, that really smells good, but she knows what it can do to her. So it's, it's an interesting space when you realize, let somebody do their journey their way. Some people are going to be the addict that can't do anything, but keep going back and hurting themselves. The way I look at that is they haven't found the right resource within themselves to go. This is how I can do this. This is how I can walk through this fire. And too often, I think that's the problem is here, this got to be put in a box. This is how you do this. This is the only way to do And I'm not knocking anybody who's been through a 12-step program. I want to make sure everybody's clear. I'm not knocking that. But if 12-step works for you, great. You got to go do what's the best way for you. Kind of like guys that come to work with me, like, so help me come out of the closet. What's the best way to do this? I'm like, your way, bitch. <laughs> well, I don't say that, but that's what I'm thinking. Oh, great. Now I said, that's what I'm thinking in my head. But seriously, it's your way. I can give you some guidance. I can explain stuff that's worked for other people, but you got to do it your way. Because if you don't do it your way, it's not going to work for you. Ah, what are you perfect. most enjoying about all of this at this point that you're here? You are, you got the book, you got the podcast, but just beyond all that and how you're living, what are you enjoying the most? Living my truth. And, um, mm because I'm not fighting against myself anymore. And to, you know, to echo what you were saying, which still answers your question. Um, I think a lot of people, my favorite scene from Breaking Bad, that whole like five delicious yeah. series, the meth cook and everything. And everything about that whole series is hundred percent accurate having lived that life, except for it all would have happened in about 365 days. It wouldn't have taken five years. That's how fast <laughs> it moves in the meth world. But when Aaron Aaron Paul's character looks at himself in the mirror and he's just like, I'm the bad guy, you know, and he just fucking comes to term with that shit. 
you know, I am the bad guy. And I'm not saying doing drugs is bad. I don't think so. But what I, my point is, rather than holding the needle or the pipe or whatever powder in your hand and being like, oh, my God, this is I'm so bad for doing this, you know, and hating yourself for it, you know, just own it. You know, I'm a person who enjoys drugs. OK, am I doing it too much? Am I doing it too little? OK, that's separate. But first, just be OK with the fact that you have a desire for something that brings you pleasure on some type of level without the judgment and the criticism. And I think that I think that that's a lot of the reason why a lot of people are in and out of rehab and stuff like that, because they like it, then they hate that they like it. And I don't really think that you can go very far. That's like loving sex and hating that you love it. OK, just tone it down and get control of it. You know, there, you know, manage it, you know, but we got to stop hating the things that we like because you well, like it reason <laughs> right but the thing is is it's it's like somebody trying to lose weight if you hate trying to lose weight and you hate doing the exercise that you got to do and you hate get then find the thing you don't hate that helps you lose the weight that's the key and not every weight loss program is going to work for everybody not every quote diet not every kind of food that people say oh eat this eat that it's not always going to work but when you find the thing that actually works for you then go enjoy it and let it happen and too many people try to do, well, everybody wants the quick hit, number one. So, you know, back to kind of drugs. You want the quick hit, the quick feel, the great feeling. But sometimes you got to realize some of this is going to take, to your point about, it. you know, the show was five years, but it takes about 365 days for true math, is sometimes it may take a little bit longer, but you're still accomplishing what you set out to get done. So allow that to happen. If I were to take your story, and I don't really know all the timelines, but if I was said, oh, yeah, so today's guest, he was a drug addict, a drug dealer. He was homeless. He served the armed forces, got booted out of that, contracted HIV, hepatitis B, and he was rejected from his church. And then he found himself and he did this all in six months. People would be like, fuck that. Rick's <laughs> on drugs. He got some guest who's blowing smoke and Rick's believing him. None of this happened overnight. And I think for most people, whether you're a guy listening from our 40 plus crowd or people who are like, but I just feel like I need to live unapologetically. This shit don't happen, people, overnight. It takes time for us to really step in and find our rhythm in ourselves. And I think one of the keys, at least I kind of hear you echo this through some of the conversation, is walk away from those who are giving you the worst amount of grief. Just walk away from them because you, until you can hear yourself and feel yourself and be yourself, all the rest of that is noise. It is simply just noise. And the same thing goes for the food too. Like since you use that example, I want people to give themselves permission that it's okay to like the foods that they like. So mm -hmm. even if it's some shit that's considered unhealthy, some Southern Louisiana fried chicken, bitch, bunt cakes, you know, <laughs> You know, you can't be like hating yourself for going to the kitchen or pulling it. I don't I hate fast food. I'll never eat it again. But, you know, if that's where you're at and that's what you like, then just fucking go get it. Because once you give yourself permission, yep. then you can control it. And then you'd be like, OK, I love this fried fucking chicken, but let me do the research. It's not all that great for me. So maybe I'll just reward myself with, you know, a wing and a breast. Right. You know, once every other week or something, rather than having a bucket of fried chicken every night, you know, because you're removing the taboo, the danger or whatever it is that's attracting you to it. And, and you're just getting a, a more clear energetically about it. So 
don't don't be if you're overweight, don't be mad at yourself for hating food. Just own it, control it, and just learn to love everything about yourself. And you brought since you brought it up before we wrap up here, be okay with playing in the taboos. To me, I think sometimes the taboo is some of the most beautiful places we can be as a person. Mm. Being that person that like, okay, you're if you're pushing somebody else's button because of who you are, that's not on you. That's on them. You know, not everybody, you know, in the gay community, I know one of the things that I was like, okay, I'm finally here. I'm living, I'm breathing, I'm being me. And then, then the first time I met, saw, met any of the sisters of perpetual indulgence, I'm like, what the fuck is that? This is just, no, this is not, no. No wonder we have this reputation. And then I started like seeing the, you know, the leather community and the BDSM community. I'm like, no, this is, and I'm like, girl, you can't be this. You got to realize you have fought and fought and fought to get to be who you are. And then I started working some retreats with gay men. And a lot of the gay men that were showing up were guys who were into leather and BDSM. And some of them were like drag queens. And a couple of them ended up being sisters of perpetual indulgence. And suddenly I got to know these guys. I'm like, wait, bitch, you were just, you were being judgmental, judgmental, judgmental. And there ain't nothing wrong with who these people are. In fact, I learned a lot about the leather community, about how beautifully spiritual so many people in that community are. There's so much deeper and so much, I know there's so, so real because, hey, yeah, this is who I am. This is what I like. This is how I want to show up. And it was a big lesson for me to realize, hey, playing in the taboos, is it really a taboo? If you enjoy it, it's everybody else who thinks that's the taboo. Yeah, my partner and I are on a journey, you know, discovering, uh, you know, fetishes and different things like that. And the community is what has me intrigued because, you know, you know, he's younger, he's in his 20s. And so, you know, you know, there's still that generation is still like into the apps and stuff like that. And I'm all like, I don't think that I was living my best life when I was, you know, bed hopping on those apps, even though I thought I was. Mm. But I appreciate from the fetish communities, which is what I'm starting to peek into more, is there's more consciousness about the act of sex. There's more conversation. People are living in the experience and owning it and care about the people who they're associating with on various levels, rather than just rushing to bust the nut or, you know, or rushing to do it. It's more quality there's more value. So from the outside, it looks like a whole bunch of kinky people fucking around, but that's what everybody's doing anyway. The only difference is that the fetish community seems to be like more granular and focused somehow. It's more Well, they're focused and they're very conscious about what they're doing. They're saying, this is what I am. This is how I show up. And they're, I mean, that did like part of my, my brand. They're, they're, they're unapologetic about it. They don't they don't make any excuse about who they are. It's everybody else who's trying to throw like, oh, aren't you ashamed of being that? Or da, da, da. OK, yeah, I'm not I'm not interested in piss play, but that's just me. If that's what what's your thing, then go go be you. Just go be it. But too often, I feel like, you know, in this world of uncloseting yourself, we OK, I, I've uncloseted and here is who I am. And then the next thing we're like. Telling somebody else how they need to be, you know, they need to closet themselves and not be that. And it just, I mean, without going on here forever, this is why we are where we are, I believe, in our country right now. There's too many people trying to tell other people how they need to be in the world right now. And it's all about control. It's all about who's going to one up the next one. 
And it just, it becomes exhausting. And I think one of the things I learned and what I've kind of seen through the reading your book and even this podcast is you realized how exhausting that all became. And so you said, I'm checking out. I don't want to be this exhausted trying to live this way, but now I'm going to put all my energy into something else. And one of the things that I read on your website that I found most humorous, and I'll bring that in as we close out here tonight, um, is the line on your bio that says, I have a dirty, sexual, very open mind, yet I maintain a strong connection with Jesus Christ. What's my pearls, girl? <laughs> but I think that's part of the beauty. The beauty is I can be very sexual, but I can also be very connected to God. Because I don't know anywhere that God said you can't have sex. I mean, if it did in the Bible, I'm sure a Republican will tell us somewhere that they've convoluted that concept. Yeah, they they will. And I, I, for sure they will. And so I just want to say just I know you said you don't technically you don't te specifically have a problem with the anonymous program. I just want to say that uh, rational recovery might be a good option for, you know, some people out there. If the anonymous program doesn't work for you, mm -hmm. you know, there are other options. Just do your research, um, you know, and just kind of like go with that. You know, I just wanted to. to no, that's great. I'm glad you brought that up. So so before we wrap up here, anything coming along the way, another book, any new things? Before yeah, so, we... so, yeah. So the website is sexdrugsandjesus.com. Yep. My lingerie website is downunderapparel.com. I'm working on a book called Don't Call Me a Christian, which goes over a lot of the whole religious issues that I have and stuff like that. That's going to be a free book, though. It is being produced of the highest quality. I just don't feel right charging about it because of the high spiritual content. I just don't think I should charge people for every damn thing. And that book's going to be given away for free. And then I'm working on a poetry book called Desert Rat that will be out. because I, I consider myself a desert rat. I'm obsessed with all deserts in the world, mm. and, um, which will be out next year, the year after I've started working on it. It'll be a composition of a hundred different poems and artwork and um, more lingerie from down under. So, and then of course on my website, I have a blog, I have free courses on there about, you know, how to study God and get close to him. And, um, and so, yeah, so just doing the damn thing. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's been great having you. And I, I can't wait to chat with you again when the next things show up in your world and keep doing what you're doing and having the impact that you do Devan. And so, and again, if you want to connect with him, Sex, drugs, and Jesus.com is the main site, and you can kind of get to everything else. If you want to go look at some hot, hunky people on his, you know, lingerie website, it's downunderapparel.com. But um, thanks again, man, for being who you are and bringing to the world your experience and how you said, hey, this is how I'm going to be in the world. And I chose to show up in my truest self. So thanks again, Devanna. Thank you so much. That's a wrap for 40 plus gay men, gay talk, where size doesn't matter. We drop our bullshit, get over our screwed up fears, make bold moves and live life without apologies. Don't forget to join us on Facebook at 40 plus gay men, gay talk, where the conversations continue.